You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. People pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. You can't mention simulation theory without mentioning the Matrix movies. People were going crazy over it. The Matrix was real. We are living in a simulation. We are being inhabited by some sort of player. It's a game. A world without rules and control. What's the point of all this? Everyone is fake. I am not a body at all. I am the code. I am a string of numbers constantly replicating in some vibration. None of this is real. I'm going to show these people what you don't want them to see. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. I am talking today, well, again, with Rodney Asher. He was on our episode about The Shining. He is the director of Room 237, also directed The Nightmare, and he is back with a new documentary called A Glitch in the Matrix. It is a look at our tenuous grasp on reality. It premieres this Saturday, January 30th, 2021, at the Sundance Film Festival. This year's festival is open to everybody, well, as long as you buy a ticket, so definitely check it out and enjoy the interview. I'm sure you're getting a lot of the same questions, so expect nothing different from me. I'll try to give you a different answer. Okay, I appreciate it. Lie if you have to. I'm very curious where the idea for the film came from. In in hindsight, it makes perfect sense that, you know, 237 is about people trying to understand a work of art, a a particular film, that... Um, nightmare is about people trying to understand the subconscious dreams, super, the supernatural, and then this is the world. But there was never a plan. And it just happened to be that, um, you know, one of the half dozen things that, you know, I was you know, sort of pitching in the wake of the nightmare, this is the one that stuck. And I think it's probably because, you know, it's an idea that, you know, once I heard about it, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Something interesting about, you know, the notion of, if um, the nightmare, you know, is sort of a nonfiction horror movie, maybe we could do a, a nonfiction science fiction movie. This go around. I imagine that you were very familiar with Philip K. Dick before you even started this. I was familiar, not necessarily very familiar, and I was mostly familiar uh, through the movies. Uh-huh. In the course of the project, you know, I pounded through now fifteen or so of his books. How did you get your subjects for this? They found us. You know, at least the four Avatar characters. You know, we announced that we were making the movie. Boing Boing wrote an article, and we set up a thing on Facebook, and then people just started uploading their stories and their contacts. And, you know, I think of something similar to what happened with The Nightmare, which is that, you know, these are ideas that really get stuck in people's minds, and they want to share. Um, You know, um, 
well, they found us and, you know, I think we got a hundred or so, you know, responses. I interviewed, you know, maybe 20, 25 of them. And then four of them worked for the film. And then the other folks, the quote unquote expert witnesses were people that we tracked down based on things that they had written or, mm-hmm. you know, or said before. Tell me about the idea of using the computer avatars, because that's just a fascinating way of having your characters already be non-human. Yeah, well, it does two things for us, right? It um, puts us into that world of the weird edge of, you know, the disorienting edge of, di- of um, digital communications when, like with emojis and things, that people are already communicating with animated characters or when they hang out in a video game and, you know, they're, uh, you stop playing the game and you're just using the game as a place to hang out with friends who are located in, 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 in different places. And I always love seeing videos or watching my son when they're not fighting. Like Fortnite isn't just a game, it's a place. Uh-huh. A place where, you know, five-year-olds, you know, where, where um, you know, can inhabit the bodies of Marvel characters, super um, Star Wars characters, or the, um, you know, the cybernetic ninjas of Fortnite, and then just catch up and talk about birthday parties and homework and things while inhabiting these adult bodies. So that felt like kind of a fun way to talk about, you know, blurring lines of real and unreal fact and fiction and how when you're, you know, in these worlds, some some people can sort of adopt different identities, you know, which is part of the appeal sometimes, even if you're just communicating through a I throw still image on Twitter or Facebook, that character may have a personality just a little bit different from yours. The other thing that it did for us was allowed us to use exactly the same character in the reenactments. Right. That, you know, instead of finding an actor who's a lookalike for the person talking or asking this non-actor to relive his experience, we could use exactly the same character and put them inside of, you know, inside of these, um, you know, sort of more cinematic sequences, reenacting the stories they describe. I'm sure, too, from a practical standpoint, it had to be nice because you're probably able to edit their audio as much as you want without having to worry about cutaways. Uh -uh. No. I would have been able to, but I don't like doing that. I think it's cheating. So, in fact, if you watch it only looking for this, you'll notice that there's a lot of jump cuts in the interviews, you know, and which was kind of a pain in the ass for the animators because I would edit somebody's monologue you know, using the original footage, there would be a jump cut, you know, because we lose 10 seconds, um, 30 seconds, five minutes. But I wanted to reflect that when we did it with the avatars, both to be honest about the fact that even, you know, in the most, you know, straightforward documentary, liberties have to be taken and dialogue has to be trimmed. And that maybe would just be funny, you know, to sort of see the... um, the rough edges that you get in in some docs, you know, with real people get limit, um, imitated here. I, I kind of also like the notion that, um, you know, we're talking to these kind of video game, comic book, science fiction characters on their days off. Who actually did the design of the characters? Chris Burnham. Uh, he's a comic book artist, um, kind of amazingly talented guy. who also has a great flair for, you know, character design. Like he did this horrifying, terrifying, terrifying comic with Grant Morrison called Nameless, which is um, sort of HP Lovecraft's version of, um, of um, Armageddon. 
if you could, if, if you could imagine. And he did uh, Batman Incorporated and Die, Die, Die. He did the character sketches and then um, Mindbomb, the animation company, built them out into 3D characters. Where did you find the guy who ended up murdering his parents? That was a producer um, over at Campfire, the company I was working with. Because in, in the early days, when I was sort of researching the topic, I came across the idea of the matrix defense, that more than one person had um, used the fact that they thought they were living in the matrix as sort of their insanity defense, which is not completely unlike, was it John Hinckley's uh, taxi driver defense? If you talk about the fact that, well, these people think that the world isn't real, then are they culpable for their actions, which might make more sense in a digital world than they, than they do in ours. So I wanted to talk about the matrix defense, and I didn't necessarily want a lawyer to explain it in a you know sort of dry, objective way. I mean, all these stories for me are more interesting when they're told by people who got skin in the game. There were a couple of people who had used it, and Colin and Rebecca were able to find Joshua um, in Virginia, who, you know, was happy to participate because, like, he has a book that he just put out, you know, who's, you know, really every day working on being a better person and trying to, you know, reach troubled kids to, you know, keep them from following in his footsteps. The premiere of the film, is that happening at Sundance? Well, at is kind of a funny word, but it is through Sunday. <laughs> you know, it's virtual Sundance. So um, this Saturday, you know, it'll be uh, it, it'll be premiering. You know, on I don't know how many people's you know home computers via you know the Sundance app. Yeah, I was curious about that because I have seen a lot of things about Sundance, and I kept thinking they're not actually having it in Park City this year. Well, they're not. <laughs> it's a completely virtual festival. Maybe not completely. I think there's some drive-ins and maybe there are some theaters that are able to do live screenings in a limited capacity. I'm not, we're not doing anything like that. Um, we were originally going to do a drive-in, but that got canceled, which was, which was kind of a bummer. Yeah, there's nothing happening in Park City. It's 100% virtual, but man, these guys have been working to do it right to make it an event by, you know, it happens at a particular time. It isn't, you know, more, you know, so it's a world of difference than watching it on Netflix. We're actually going to have a live Q and a, you know, via some kind of zoom Skype, you know, sort of interface. And there's a big VR component into the festival this year. If you've got Oculus or a PlayStation VR. So, you know, they've been working for, I don't know, a year, six months, you know, to try to figure out the way to, turn a virtual festival into a real event. You talked about how when you were pitching different ideas that this was one of them, that a glitch in the matrix was one of them. How many ideas are you pitching at a time? How many pokers do you have in the fire, like even right now? I think I've got like three now. You know, and, and sometimes it'll feel like once, like, you know, I, I've, 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 this is you know a familiar story for, you know, anybody who's trying to make a go of it. But, you know, I lost six months developing and pitching things that I, that seemed, you know, almost, almost certain to happen. How much did the pandemic affect this film? I mean, it is interesting that so much of it takes place in a virtual world. Yeah, most of that's a coincidence, right? You know, we had shot it, you know, I, I did the interviews in Skype, mostly because I thought that it would feel on theme, you know, that digital interfaces um, and that 
not being face to face, but being mediated through a, a digital connection, felt like it reflected the themes of the movie. And I wasn't the kind of person to be um, too precious about the fact that Skype doesn't look as nice as filming somebody in person with a, you know, with, with a great camera and beautiful lenses. So it was just sort of strange that when the pandemic hit, we all found ourselves trapped in these similar kind of screens. You know, we were originally going to, you know, premiere at Tribeca, you know, in April. And, you know, we weren't finished, but we thought that we would break our asses and work around the clock to get it ready for them. And when it became clear that that wasn't going to happen, we were able to slow down a little. But, I mean, we were already working virtually, you know, that our animators or Three of them were here in LA. One of them was out in Italy. Most of our conversations were on Skype anyway. The composer was working, you know, back in his studio. You know, we were already sort of working um, in isolation beforehand. There's just an extra weirdness, resonance to looking at the movie now that we're all trapped in the same hell that, that we were in when we were you know, working on this thing around the clock. Yeah, they used to say hell is other people, but now I'd kind of like to to see other people. There are many hells in this world. (laughs) Well, Rodney, thank you so much for your time. Best of luck with your screening. I hope that it goes great. Thanks. I appreciate that, Mike. It's good to talk to you again.
rape is what she saw! Oh!